0: Good afternoon, collectors, and welcome to Episode 2 of Trading Card Therapy. I'm your host, the doctor, Leighton Sheldon, owner and proprietor of Just Collect and Vintage Breaks. Thanks for joining us today. So, there is absolutely a ton going on in the hobby, even just since the seven days of our very first episode of Trading Card Therapy last week. We're going to do our best to cover all of those topics and more during today's episode. Before I do that, I wanted to take a moment because I got a few emails in regards to what card shows did I frequent or did I attend growing up before Just Collect became what it, you know is today and same thing with vintage breaks. So uh, the shows in New Jersey that I frequented were the Freehold Raceway Mall show. I remember that show very well. You could sit all weekend and sell lots of cards for a buck, two bucks, being you know thousands of dollars. The Howell Flea Market Show on Route Nine was a big show for me, and I believe that there's a potentially a show there today, and or a baseball card store uh, within you know the flea market itself. Of course, who could forget the Ramada Inn? That is where I met Scott Alpa, who is uh, a longtime friend of mine uh, and well known in the hobby. And I'm sure I'm leaving off many places such as local hotels, like on Route 35, and, you know, big convention centers, kind of like as you, you know, like Secaucus and such. But the ones that really, you know, I was able to get to locally as a a young kid were those. And so I wanted to mention that as part of my first episode history and background on myself. I wanted to get that out there for those uh, New Jerseyites that are uh, listening and can appreciate So anyway, thanks for uh, joining us today here on our second episode of Trading Card Therapy. We're going to get right into the very first topic, which I'm sure many of you have either heard about and or um, listened to other podcasts or other folks talk about on social media. And that is Fanatic's big move into the trading card space, specifically grabbing licenses from Major League Baseball and NBA. And they're now confirming that they're going to be making cards. I forgot the exact year, but in a few years from now, they're going to be handling the licenses for Major League Baseball and the Players Association, as well as the NBA and the NBA Players Association. So before we get into that just a little bit further, I'd like to point out if you want to consume trading card therapy live every week, you can check us out Tuesday at 1230 Eastern Time on our YouTube channel, Owned by JustCollect at youtube.com/justcollect, and of course, if you prefer your podcast in the audio format, you can enjoy that on Apple, Spotify, and such. When our good buddy Ken will drop that on Friday morning, so look for that out there in the podcast universe. Special shout out to friends like Darren Ravel and Ryan and Jason and Mark, uh, and of course, the team here at Vintage Breaks and Just Collect. Trading card therapy would not be possible without all of the team members here that we work with to make Just Collect and Vintage Breaks tick. So thank you. And without further ado, let's get back to Panini and Tops and Fanatics. And so there's been a lot of talk, a lot of, if you will, shock and awe of what does this mean for you, the collector, you know, you, the investor, if you will. And a lot of folks are hybrid with Fanatics making such a strong play or a perceived strong play. Right. Obviously, time will will unfold and we'll see. But it looks as though it's going to be very strong. And so, what does that mean, you know, for you folks? And I think that it's a little bit too early to tell. I wanted to give my two cents on what I think is going to unfold. And obviously, we'll date this and it'll be out there for folks to consume. Um, I know there's been some doom and gloom out there about you know fanatics producing cars and tops won't produce anything and Panini's not going to produce anything in the space. And just from my uh, standpoint. You know, I believe that Tops and Panini, at least for the interim, isn't going anywhere because they can produce cards, I believe, till 2026 or so. But I also think that Fanatics is a smart company. They have great people that are running it. And folks who are good at business recognize the value of a brand. And so my dad used to say motherhood and apple pie and Tops growing up. And so I'm wondering if that's going to play true for Fanatics and of course, on the NBA side, does Fanatics feel as though that they need the Panini brand to run something like a National Treasures? But remember, Fanatics isn't necessarily an expert in the space, but they're going to want to be the best in the space. So the truth will so- certainly lie somewhere in between. Um, but I believe that we're going to see the Topps brand and the Panini brand continued in some capacity, uh, unless, of course, sides are unreasonable and you know no deal can be had or met, whether it be now or in the future. But I believe that Fanatics wants what's best for, of course, their bottom line, but they also want what's best for the community of users. And they have a lot of them. They have a lot of sports users to the tune of tens of millions. And so all I keep hearing is this doom and gloom of how this is going to be very bad for the industry, very bad for the hobby. And I don't necessarily share that sentiment, but with the asterisk of if Topps and Panini go away, well then no, I think that if Panini just comes out, excuse me, if Fanatics just comes out with a Fanatics card brand and they forget about the Topps heritage and the Panini heritage um, and it's everything new moving forward, I do think that could work. But I myself, as a pure hobbyist and someone who's been around for quite some time, would love to see the Topps name, you know, continue as well as it's a valued asset. Of the community, and so I think Panini. Excuse me. I think Panini and Tops will both be looked like that by fanatics. It's just a matter of, a course of course, the dollars and cents. But I do think that, in terms of great point, Chris Co, there is lots of opportunity for fanatics to tie in all the channels to bring a better value for the collector sport fan, and that collector sport fan could be a fan of digital assets, could be the fan of physical assets, could be the fan of not so typical baseball cards. So there's lots of, you know, crossroads happening, I believe, that'll be interesting to see how Fanatics leads that effort or leads those efforts. But I do know one thing, that there's a lot of money being put into this. And of course, people can be wrong. And I hear this expression often in in a variety of different professional circles, as well as, you know, personally, that rising tides lift, lift all boats. And I certainly hope that this is the case with Fanatics. I do believe that they're going to be investing heavily into the space and now you're going to have potentially the leagues and their players lobbying for the success of those brands within that space. And so I think that before we, you know, have that knee-jerk reaction that that many of us do when, when we have change in our lives, right? Forget about professionally, right? If you get laid off from a job or, you know, you're moving states because your significant other got a new job, whatever the case may be, we're always uh, averse to change. But change often brings out the best, brings out the best in people and experiences, and hopefully in business. It's going to bring out the best for products, for uh, a variety. And, you know, I can only speak for myself, but Crosby's six years old. And I was talking uh, to someone about this earlier this morning. They were asking my opinion about the situation. And I said, hey, in an ideal world, I think that Fanatics will acquire tops or just the trading card uh, aspect of tops. Same thing with Panini. And they'll continue the brand. But then what I would love to do, this is what I added, I would love to see Fanatics come out with their own cards with a really kid-friendly price point. But like with that same type of chase element, you know, that's okay if that's what we're going to, you know, embrace as an industry. You know, I think that change and competition is good for the hobby as long as it's managed correctly. And that's the same way it is in life. So I'm just thinking that because fanatics who already has such a vested interest in these sports and the sports fan space, that to me, as an owner of JustCollect.com, where we buy and sell old baseball cards, as an owner or one of the owners of VintageBreaks.com, where we offer both old and more modern breaks available on our YouTube channel seven days a week, you're always talking about customer acquisition. Customer acquisition is really expensive no matter what industry you're in and can, of course, be challenging. And so when I look at it through my lens in regards to Fanatics is, hey, if they're able to knock down a lot of trees and a lot of friction between Just Collect and Vintage Breaks offerings and the collecting world that let's just say there's 90 million people that are on Fanatics as users, but only 9 million of those people like collectibles, Well, then it sounds like we have about, well, I don't know, 80 million potential customers left where we don't have to run different ads and try to figure out where they are on the internet. We know they're in the Fanatics ecosystem. And so I believe, or I'm hoping, fingers crossed, right, that long-term, this will be absolutely a situation of rising tides, lifting all boats, but there's still a lot of dust to be settled. Make no mistake about it. Some of this stuff was happening behind the scenes. So time will tell about how it plays out. I'm super pumped to see the investment coming into the hobby that I love, that I've grown to make a living in, both with Just Collect and uh, Vintage Breaks, you know, the two sponsors of Trading Card Therapy. And of course, I'd be remiss if I did not mention Sports Collectors Daily, really good friend of mine, Rich Miller. If you're looking for sports, you know, daily hobby news, right? And you only got two minutes from that coffee break from work, or you can duck away from your significant other and say you got to go to the bathroom for a few minutes. And instead of just texting me, hey, what's going on in the hobby? I would check out sportscollectorsdaily.com. Fresh news stories every day, a lot of action. Uh, I've known Rich for about 20 years or so. So getting back to center, I did want to take a moment to take one of the comments from our audience. And our very own Chris Co is saying that by passing the savings back to the ecosystem, it would be amazing. Exactly, lots of inefficiencies in the cu- in the current collecting industry from distribution, etc. So that's what I was going to close with, Chris. And obviously, this is only my only hot take on the distribution and the whole fallout of what's going to happen with fanatics in the future. So, as much as I do acquire product sometimes from distributors, and I have no emotional feeling towards them one way or the other, I think that the distributors. The middlemen of the world in the modern wax are going to see lots of changes. And the reason why I targeted them first is because, as Chris mentioned, it's inefficient. Why does Tops or Panini, if they're already shipping products, why do they need to ship it twice? It's almost like you're saying, wait a minute, we're not able to manage our inventory so let's give it to another company to manage. It'll sit in their holding cell, let them capitalize on these big secondary run-ups, which by the way, has been happening now for years, and just make additional money uh, and padding the accounts of you know, folks like GTS, folks, let's say, like Peach State or Southern Hobby. And by the way, those folks are all wonderful organizations, but we're just talking about business efficiency. I'm just not sure why Fanatics is going to say, why do we need that supplier to hold our product? and disseminate it um, from there. When I was just listening to a Michael Rubin podcast recently, the founder of Fanatics, he's very into direct-to-consumer in terms of vertical. So you might say he's producing the best product that he can for the money, and instead of having one or two or three different sets of hands in between, it's going right to the end user. And you can buy that from his website, you know, fanatics.com. And so I do believe that the days of being able to go and, and scalp you know, um, modern stuff from you know retail outlets is going to change because that's not necessarily what's in the best interest of the hobby or, frankly, what's in the best interest of a company like Fanatics. So I think a company like Fanatics is going to be able to potentially take out that middleman cost. Of course, they're going to want to make as much money as they can, but they're also going to want to keep people in their ecosystem, And so I believe they're going to be able to deliver value. They're going to be able to deliver value several different ways. But first and foremost, they're going to be able to take that savings and any good company that's going to prosper for the long haul, and it looks like that they're doing a very good job of that, it seems as though that is is ripe for change. And then in terms of Fanatic's product itself, you could have products that are going to be put out, they're going to be kid-friendly, that could be out in... You know, the Amazons and the Walmarts, you know, in the targets of the world where kids are going to be able to go and buy with their parents. And you know what? Maybe there's not going to be a $30,000 card possible. Well, there'll be a $30 card possible. and Packs are going to cost 99 cents again because Fanatics is going to know that these kids are sports fans now. They may like to buy some T-shirts and such with their mom's help. But if we can get them in that ecosystem, they're also going to love cars. They're going to love them forever. And I think that that was a big boat missed by the card companies in recent years. And so there's no reason that the card manufacturers are not working with Amazon, Target, Walmart, etc. to deal with them directly, take all of those savings and deliver better value, kid-friendly products, so on and so forth. And, you know, last part of it is I do think that Fanatics is going to support card shops, you know, the local card store, the LCSs as we like to use for short in this industry. But I would say that this is my message to the local card stores. If you can continue to develop, you know, revenue streams that don't depend on new product coming out. So, for example, at Vintage Breaks, you know, we handle set breaks that have to do with vintage cards once in the 1950s or 60s or even the 70s, sometimes the 80s. But there's a lot, hit randoms, which, of course, if you're a fan of Vintage Breaks, you've seen um, a lot over the last several years. But there's a lot of different things that the local card shops, for example, if they weren't given such a softball to let's say, get this product to deliver it to them for 120 that they're selling for 450 And all of a sudden now they have to develop their own products. I think it's going to be better for everyone in the long run. But I think we are going to be bracing uh, for change. And I think that if Fanatics wanted, they could have card shop specific hobby releases only. So there's lots of opportunity. We're going to see where, as time unfolds, where the chips uh, fall. But that is uh, our discussion on the Panini, Tops and Fanatics situation at the moment. We're going to be talking about, you know, more of that uh, in the future. I wanted to cover a few other things today. So I bid in our good friends at Heritage Auctions, big auctions, big auction that they had uh, this weekend. I will not reveal yet, but maybe in the future, uh, I bid on one of the most expensive items I've ever bid on. I did not win it. But it was to the tune of several hundred thousand dollars. And I'm able to still live at home as we did not win. But all kidding aside, uh, I wanted to talk about my experience in the auction. It was great. They had a two-day event, Saturday and Sunday. Saturday was, I believe, their platinum night. Sunday was still some great items as well. But I wanted to talk about, I believe, I won potentially one item in the auction. But I wanted to talk to you about my experience and what had happened uh, and what it caused me to do. And I think this would be a good piece of advice for out for those out there who are collecting cards autographs you know photographs you know whatever the case may be and so in terms of the auction itself it was fantastic and i very much wanted to but i really had my heart set on one particular michael jordan original photograph from his rookie season of 1984 where he was dunking with this just unbelievable scowl on his face At his first appearance ever at Madison Square Garden, and sold for 6,500. And of course, I'm thinking, oh, this thing's probably worth 10,000. But you know, I put in my bid of 5,000 and change, and it just wasn't meant to be. But what I took from that, and bidding on some other Michael Jordan photos, which I did not come out victorious on, was hey, let me see what's out there. I set up next to my really good friend Ryan Friedman from Auction Report at this past year's National, as I do every National. Um, And next year, we'll be in Atlantic City, for those that are interested, 2022. Hope you can join us. So um, Ryan had some great Michael Jordan photos uh, at the National. Uh, I almost pulled the trigger on one. I waited a few days. Gone. Darren Bell tweeted about it. And then, lo and behold, the photo was sold. So I went on eBay after the Heritage auction. And I've been looking at some Michael Jordan photographs over the last few days. Once again, these are unsigned vintage photographs. Type ones, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the type of collecting of photographs that I do, there's different types, meaning that's the generation. Was it first to come off the negative? Was it printed off the negative 20 years later? That's what we mean by type. You can check out all those details at psacard.com. In regards to Michael Jordan original photography, I see the market heating up. I have some photographs in my collection, but, you know, I, I really felt as though like I missed out and I wanted to buy a great photo. And so this is why I'm bringing it up today. You can take the information that you gain and the knowledge that you're able to learn and acquire from bidding in auctions. If you're really bidding with real dollars and you're willing to stand behind your bid and pay for stuff, you can get a sense for where the market's moving on things. And so fast forward, and I don't have the photo here, but when I do, I'll post it to social on Trading Card Therapy and a variety of other platforms uh, owned by Vintage Breaks. And just collect, and by the way, special shout out to my friend Jason from Motia, uh, also a sponsor of the show. In regards to MJ, there's just not enough good photographs that are really, you know, kind of grabbing me and saying, hey, this is something special. And so that's why I really wanted that that photograph from his rookie season. But I felt like there was a big premium because it was from his rookie season and also um, it being from his first appearance in MSG. So I found an amazing photo of just a portrait of Jordan's face in about the 1989 to 1990 time period. And what's so interesting is I've not seen very many Jordan portrait photos whatsoever. Um, and so it was at fixed price on eBay for I think a thousand. I made uh, an offer of seven and a quarter with shipping at 750. I thought that would be reasonable. I didn't know if they would counter or not or just deny. Um, and I ended up accepting the offer. So I'll be showing off that newly acquired Michael Jordan original photograph portrait for my collection uh, in the coming weeks when it comes in. Just paid for it uh, late yesterday. So when you're bidding in auctions, try to take even small victories in the items that you don't win and realize that you're going to potentially be at the forefront of understanding the market trends, even that tiny little niche. So for me, it's the Michael Jordan photographs. And obviously more macro, I'm very into vintage cards, both professionally and personally, as you all know, and if you haven't figured it out yet, yes, I'm a card nerd and I'm proud of it. For those of you that bid in Heritage or any other auction recently, please drop something in the chat or uh, in the comments about what you've won. It's always fascinating to me what people are collecting uh, out there. So I did attend a card show uh, this past weekend out in Hostra. They actually had to cancel the second day of it because of the pending hurricane. I have just one item here that I picked up at the show. Actually, two items. One of them I already showed off on social media. It's a 1978 OPG hockey box, BBCE wrapped. For those of you who do not know what that means, that's Baseball Card Exchange. Check them out at baseballcardexchange.com on the web. Uh, they are the preeminent source of, for unopened and authentication in the unopened space. Check that out. Uh, this is one of my items that I, I uh, bought out at the convention. Here is another 1970 tops football cello first series pack. It is the one with about 30, 33 cards in it. Uh, as you can see, this person bought it from Mile High Auctions, and I in turn bought it from them. I bought this because 1970 football cellos are... Great value for the money as they have nearly three times the cards in them as the wax packs do. And the wax packs are extremely pricey. So it made sense to pick that up. Picked up a few other things as well. You could check me out at Layton underscore Sheldon on Instagram to check out some of my other pickups from the Hofstra Hofstra show. Special shout out to Jimmy and Brian for putting on an amazing convention. So the last two things I wanted to uh, cover for today have to do with cards because what would we be doing here at Trading Card Therapy if we didn't geek out for a minute? So this is a sign. I didn't forget about it, but let's just say it wasn't at the forefront, the tip of my my frontal lobe of my memory. I just bought this card recently out of auction with tremendous eye appeal. I believe it's the very same card, so I don't have that card in yet, but I just got back a reholder And I believe I bought this card in a collection, and it was mislabeled by PSA, and I sent it in prior to the PSA shutdown on a, I guess, a bulk-ish, I don't remember the dollar amount, uh, service. And so with this pop from PSA the other day, I'm like, wait a minute, did I grade this card recently? No, it was a reholder. So I believe I now have two of these. I'm going to evaluate it when the other one comes in. This one has tremendous eye appeal for a grade of one. We're going to talk more about eye appeal on episode three of Trading Card Therapy. So tune in next week. I know some of you out there will enjoy that. We've been preaching that here and discussing it amongst the Vintage Breaks community and the Just Collect community for the last uh, couple of years. So here is my 1922 E121 American Caramel Babe Ruth holding the ball PSA 1. But check that out. For a PSA 1, you're talking about fairly square corners. Now, For those of you who can't see, there is a little bit of paper loss there uh, in the upper left. But sans that, gorgeous image, great eye appeal, certainly a keeper, you'd think. However, I bought a very similar card in a recent auction from REA. You can see the back, there's a little bit of paper loss, otherwise fairly clean. Looks like it was in a scrapbook at some point, just based on those glue remnants. But super pumped. Once again, this was already graded a PSA one, it was just mislabeled by PSA, but it had been a PSA for months, if not longer, because I sent it in as a one-card reholder and just kind of had forgotten about it. So sometimes it pays off when it takes a long time to get your cards back, and very appreciative of having this 1922 E-121 American Caramel Babe Ruth coming back to us here. Oh, love the Harrington's Ice Cream. There's a big, really nice example of the Harrington's Ice Cream Ruth. Uh, in this um, weekend's check them out good buddy of mine Al Chris Affili from Love of the Game Auctions I already have several bids in their auction I believe it ends on Saturday so a little public service announcement for you all alright so we're trying to keep this to about 30 minutes and even though we started just a couple minutes behind we are generally going to start Trading Card Therapy the live version of our podcast 12.30pm Eastern Time Tuesday afternoons so if you can Take your lunch break with me. I'll be taking my lunch break just after this. But it'd be awesome if you can join us for that. Or take a break from just doing work at your job. I won't tell if you don't. Um, But thanks for joining The Doctor for today's episode of Trading Card Therapy. We have one more topic to cover. And that is buying collections. Because it's a personal passion of mine. Um, I enjoy it thoroughly. It's also the lifeline, the blood uh, line that that we need here at Just Collect to make us tick. And so I wanted to offer some super high level advice in regards to buying baseball cards because it's one thing, and I'm going to show these cards off. You're gonna, folks, if you if you like 1950s cards, then you should not only consume our audio version of the Trading Card Therapy podcast. But check out our live version of Trading Card Therapy podcast because that's where you're going to see some treasures what I'm about to show off. So here's the deal. You might say, why is this knucklehead about to share with folks out there who he doesn't even know about how to buy more vintage cards in the same way that he's doing, especially because he does this for a living? Well, here's the deal. I know no matter what, I won't be able to buy all the baseball cards in the world. I'd like to, believe me. Uh, My wife knows it. So does Crosby. However, I also know it's not possible. And so I figured that the more I can arm folks who are either casual, intermediary, or more serious collectors, investors, I'm waiting for the call from Chris Coe. I'm begging to get another text from Andy Brantano. I'm hoping to get an email from Daniel Lynch that says, Late. I think I stumbled across the mother load of such and such. And you know what? I'd like to be involved with it, but can you help me assess it? Could you maybe help me purchase it? Or just help me, give me some general advice, and I'll think about what to do at the end. I'd love to help. I like the action, and I want to see more treasure uncovered out there in the hobby. As as you know, I like to fancy myself a baseball card treasure hunter, but I'm still not going to be able to find all the treasures out there. So the best way to do that is in your circle of uh, people. So I don't mean you got to go out and get a website, chrisco.com or daniellynch.com, whatever the case may be, but go out there and establish that you are, are a passionate collector of baseball cards, that you're knowledgeable about it. And what does that mean? Put up a business card at the ice cream shop in your town. When you go to get gas, tell your gas station guy that you just bought a cool card. And I know some of this stuff might seem a little bit hokey, But I talk about baseball cards nonstop. And so aside from the organic content that we provide on our website um, for free at JustCollect.com that helps people with simple things like how do you hold your baseball cards, how do you take care of them, how do you ship them if you want to send them in for appraisal to a company like ours, all that great stuff, here's the thing. No matter how much great information we give away at JustCollect and the dozens of great auction houses that are out there, you know, like Heritage and like our friends, from REA and all the other countless others that are out there, there's still going to be someone who doesn't know what they have. And so if you can help them, Darren Ravella sent countless people my way because they truly didn't understand what they had. We don't get to buy every collection, but we help as many as we can. And we feel like good karma will come back to us. And so if there's a time and place for folks to, whether it be sell, trade, get more information, they know that they can come to the doctor. That is yours truly, Leighton Sheldon. So we appreciate you joining us today on Trading Card Therapy. And, you know, the last thing is you could take out very cheap classified ads once a month in your town to let people know that you're looking for old baseball cards. So many different ways to get involved in your community. So I wanted to close with this uh, collection of cards. We'll talk about the details on how I evaluated it next week on the third episode of Trading Card Therapy. thought you'd find all that information interesting. Um, and potentially useful for those who are aspiring to go out and value deals and value collections. And so, without further ado, this is the 1950s collection with approximately just over 600 cards from the mid-1950s, heavy dosage of 1955 and 1956 Topps baseball. Check them out, folks. That's right, not one, not two, not three. But four 1955 tops Jackie Robinsons in this collection. By the way, second installment of this collection. So it's another reason why I talked about making friends and providing value. We had a successful first transaction. We didn't push and say you have to send in everything at once. He said, I'd like to kind of get my feet wet. We said, get it wet one foot at a time if you'd like. Well, he jumped in the pool big time, the deep end with this batch. Check out now a couple of Teddy Ballgame, Ted Williams. 55 tops. We're now moving into 1956. Once again, these are just the highlights. There's hundreds of other cards in the collection. So here is a couple second year Roberto Clemente cards. And then look at that, Jackie makes another appearance. Two more 56 tops, Jackie's or um and a several 1950s. Wow, there's three 56 Teddies. And I'm just going to fan these up here cuz we don't want to be rude to alkaline Ernie Banks, a Luis Aparicio rookie. So, folks, if you're listening to this on audio, you can tune in and see, you know, all these treasures we're showing off on a weekly basis. 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Trading Card Therapy. Thanks to our sponsors, Just Collect, Vintage Breaks, OTIA Sports. Special shout-out to my friend, Mark, Jacob, and his team from Bleaker Trading. I believe they're having another trade night in New York City. Check them out on Instagram. From yours truly, The Doctor, until next week, signing off.